The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. Luke 5, 17 to 26. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralysed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof, roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? And in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before him, before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Uh, let's pray as we spend time in God's word together. Our Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word today, uh, to meet as your people, um, to be encouraged uh, by what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that we will have open hearts, uh, that you will shape us and mould us to be more like Christ. And Father, as a result of our time together this morning, that we will live out our faith in a way which brings honour and glory to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought I'd start by introducing you to another family that I got to meet. I think you'll see it on the slides there. This is Dave's family. And uh, this is part of our trip to the Philippines. We got to meet Dave and his family. They don't look like that. That's all right. No problem. And I just take your time. I'll tell you the story and then you'll, the big reveal might come sometime. Um, anyway, so Dave and his family, we, we got to meet them. He was sponsored by Compassion. And they lived in the middle of a basketball court. So in the Philippines, uh, basketball is all the rage because um, that's the government's put, a, put aside courts and they love playing. And even in the slum communities, that's where you get activity. So there's nothing else other than basketball courts and homes all around it. And we got to meet Dave's family. They were living sort of underneath this tarpaulin in the middle of a basketball court. And uh, they must pack it up for playing and stuff like that. And I was talking to the family and they said, they told us that their house had burned down. So they lived just around the corner. There was an earthquake. Their house caught fire and burnt to the ground. And they couldn't afford to repair it. And honestly, the repairs would not have been 
much for us at all because they're, they're pretty ramshackle places. And we're talking um, to, to them and a bunch of you know, things going on. And then I noticed behind the basketball court, there's this whole row, like about as wide as the wall there, of doors with padlocks on them, outdoors. And I'm like, what's with the doors? And they said, oh, they're the toilets. And I was like, okay, who, whose toilets are they? They said, oh, they're privately owned. Um, so if any of us need to use the bathroom, we have to pay. And I was like, I never thought of having to pay to go to the toilet, right? Um, you just you, you know, you go to your own bathroom, but no, none of the houses have, have toilets, so they have to pay. And then I was talking to mum, and she, I was asking her what did she do during the day. She, she baked bread, and she'd make these delicious sweet, um, sweet breads and take this huge basket around and try and sell them in the community. And if she had a good day, she'd make about $3 Australian. And, and so I had that in mind, I'm talking to mum, then I'm asking about the bathrooms, and then they said, oh yeah, and I said, how much does it cost like, to, to use the bathroom? And they said, oh, it's about 16 pesos per person. And I know these are sort of big gross things to talk about. I was like, that's really, okay, 16 pesos, I'm trying to do the number in my head, and then there's six people in the family. It was worked out about 50 cents a day to use the bathroom. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, but then she's only only three bucks a day. So from that, a large percentage of her income is going just to get the kids to, the, to use the, the toilet and herself to use the bathroom. I thought I've never had to have that sort of a, um, do that maths in my head at all, like such a huge percentage of your income going just to the very, very basic um, you know, requirements for, for life. And so she, mum's not thinking medicine. She's not thinking um, tutoring. She's not thinking sport, soccer, cricket. Ballet, tell me about ballet, um, uh, superannuation, insurance, any of those things. Just how do I get my kids the basics necessities so they can live and, and, and be able to do what they need to do? And so that's one of the sad, difficult, cruel realities of poverty and living in poverty. Um, I, I can't even imagine what it must be like for them and their family. And so what hope is there for a family living in that situation? What hope is there for a family now like that, that was pre-COVID, now with the ravages of COVID as well. And when it comes back to Australia, back to us living here, how do we respond when we hear about families like David's? How do we, what, what do we do? How should we as Christians living in Sydney, caring about the gospel, caring about what God says, um, what should we do? And if, there, if it is possible, how do we hold out hope? Uh, what is the solution? What do we do? What does God think about this stuff? What does he think about the poor and needy? What does he say about this issue? Um, well, that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to look at God's word, what God cares, says about the poor and needy, his, his heart for the poor and needy, and how he calls us to respond. Now, one early on, I've been with Compassion for 10 years now, actually, and very early on when I started sharing about Compassion, a gentleman came up to me after church and said, Hey, Paul, um, what do you think the main cause of poverty is? I thought, that's a really good question, right? Because once you work at the main cause, then you can deal with the main cause, not just the symptoms of poverty. Um, it's a little bit like uh, having a skin disease, like, a, a, sorry, a, a disease. Like, so you wake up in the morning, 
you got a sore on your hand and you think, okay, I'll put a Band-Aid on that. Should be good uh, after a couple of days. But if you've got some underlying um, blood disease or blood condition, putting a Band-Aid on your hand is not going to fix the problem, right? It's just going to keep, um, keep happening. And it's a little bit like that with the, the um, root cause of poverty. You want to work out what the root cause is. Otherwise, we're just you know, patching up symptoms and they're just reappearing all over the place. And the Bible tells us that the enormous poverty and suffering in our world goes all the way back uh, to um, God's first people, Adam and Eve. And so I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3. God said to Adam, and this is when Adam had and Eve had sinned against God, he said, "'Because you listened to your wife's voice "'and ate from the tree about which I commanded you "'do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you.'" You will eat of it by means of painful labour all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. So sin, right up front, sin is the root problem with our world. Sin and rebellion against God, it's the root cause of all the troubles that, that face our world. And it begins this catastrophic chain of events that sees the world no longer the beautiful Eden it once was, but it's a, a hopeless mess. Sin has broken in and creation groans as, as a result. And we see God cursed the land. It becomes incredibly difficult to work. Getting the food and nourishment that we need is a huge struggle. And we don't see this so much in Australia but um, where we live, but uh, all around the world, it's a, a struggle against the elements just to eke out enough to be able to feed yourself and your family. And even more than that, relationships are, are shattered. They're smashed. Adam and Eve no longer um, trust each other. They cover up them, their, their nakedness from one another. Uh, and, and we see that, even more importantly, that perfect relationship with their heavenly father, which was once so beautiful, uh, broken. And the world becomes chaos in so many ways. And so that sets the tone for uh, God's people and, and, and people in the world uh, and their relationship with God. Even see Adam and Eve's children when... Um, Cain attacks and kills his own brother, Abel. And, and it wasn't just Adam and Eve and then things from there, and it wasn't just people who, are, who don't know God who, who are living like this. We even see as we look through the Old Testament that God's people, the Israelites, they were actually um, guilty of mistreating the poor. So in Amos chapter 2, it says, The Lord says, this is to his very own people, I will not relent from punishing Israel, the Israelites, his people, for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and they block the path of the needy. So we're sinful people and we live in a sinful, broken world and even God's people um, don't live the way he calls us to. As Romans says, both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. 
And so this sinful, sinfulness of man is, is the greatest problem. It's the root problem of, of everything that happens in our world. Every one of us needs our root core problem dealt with before we can address any of the symptoms. Ignoring humanity's core problem is like um, you know, getting skin cancer and trying to heal it with a packet of Band-Aids. It's not going to work. It's our core terminal disease of sin that needs to be dealt with. So what's the answer? What, what hope is there? What's the remedy to a world of sinful people who rebel against God, rebel against one another? Well, uh, we look to Luke chapter 5. And if you're following on there in your, in your Bible, we'll go to verse 17. And this is how um, Jesus dealt with this core problem when he met the paralyzed man. So you remember the, the, the story. So um, the, there's a paralyzed man. He wants to get healed. He hears Jesus is in town. He goes to Jesus. Um, the, the house is full. There's no physical way for him to get in there. And he and his mates, the mates are carrying him. And then verse 19, when they couldn't find a way to get into the house, uh, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I would be completely losing my mind if I'm this bloke. Like they've had no practice run. Um, They're tearing a hole in some guy's roof and they're lowering (laughs) this guy down without practice from the roof down into the floor in front of everybody. And then there's this guy lying there on the floor in front of Jesus, in front of everybody else, uh, all the the, the teachers and um, everyone else who's come along. Um, There's probably dirt and stuff everywhere from the ceiling all around on the ground on him. And everybody knows why he's there, right? He's he's paralysed. He's come to Jesus, the great healer. Everybody knows what Jesus' job is. And so what does Jesus do? Well, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. You can just imagine, right? The friend's looking down from the ceiling like, what? And uh, the man himself thinking, okay, that's not what I came for, uh, Jesus. And the reason is because Jesus can see deeper than an MRI. Jesus goes goes straight to the heart of this man's greatest problem. Jesus knows all our greatest problem and all our greatest needs. And so the Pharisees there, they hear this solution of Jesus to say that your sins are forgiven and they're they're up up in arms, but they keep it inside their head. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. This is what he says to them in verse 21. Uh, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this who... This fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God? And then Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take your mat and go home. Now, of those two options, which one's easier, to say sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, probably the first one, right? Because who's going to know whether it worked or not? But Jesus says, so that you know that I have the authority and power to be able to forgive this man's sins, I'll do something that only God can do as well, which is heal a man in an instant. And so he says, get up, take your mat and go. And the man actually was able to get up now and walk for the first time, takes his mat and goes. Incredible. And he went home praising God. 
See, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, is the ultimate solution for this man, but also for all people. The gospel, the forgiveness of sins, is, is, is true hope. It, it is the answer. The forgiveness that only Jesus can offer, the one that we've been waiting thousands of years for, that Jesus secured for us on the cross when he died in our place. So we are, you and I, are sinful people. Um, we live in a sinful world. Whether you're a family struggling uh, in the Philippines to eke out a living or you live in a nice three-bedroom place in Tungabi, we all share that same core problem, that, sh- that same disease. We need our sins to be forgiven. Jesus did that for us. He took God's wrath and anger upon himself and in, in incredible love, he willingly did that so that you could be right with God. And he fixed that core problem. Sin is the problem, the cross is the solution. And so God's word challenges each of us, have you come to Jesus to have your core problem and your sin, your broken relationship, your core disease, have you come to Jesus um, to be forgiven? Because it's so important that we don't lose track of our greatest need and the greatest need of our world around us. Otherwise, we're just going to be doing a band-aid solutions to everything and not fixing the problem, the core problem. That's why the gospel's the first priority for compassion and the churches we work with on the ground. Because despite all their many needs, their greatest need for those we serve uh, in, in the 25 countries we work in is their need for forgiveness, just as it is ours. And so that's why we're, we're Christ-centred. There's a um, country director, Noel, in the Philippines. I think there's a photo of him, actually. Um, yeah, this is him. So Noel Pabiona, and he runs Compassion in the Philippines. Amazing guy. And uh, we got to meet him a few times. And um, you, you might think, okay, aid agency or, or whatever you want to call it, doing good work, feeding and, and doing those things, which Compassion does. But this is what he, Noel says about the work of Compassion and what, what they're doing in the ground. He says, my focus is on, every, on giving every sponsored child the chance to be a disciple in the way of our Saviour. This, I believe, is what makes Compassion stand out. Not only do we give children hope, but we also give them a chance to find eternal hope in Jesus. Isn't that just what you guys have been talking about this, this month? It's, hope, it's true hope, right? Eternal hope in Jesus. So that begs the question then, I think, that if, should we now, because evangelism sharing that good news is, is, is so critical and, and the gospel is the answer to our core need, should we only be concerned with preaching and, and, and evangelising, sharing that good news? And do we leave caring for people's other needs further down the list? Or even, if we're honest, on, on, on a bad day, to people who like doing that sort of stuff? Well, um, what does God's word say about that? Well, there's many, many verses, and actually Aaron and I um, work together, and we've been going through Luke, and super challenging God's word is... is it talks many times about the poor and needy in this world, and so does the Old Testament. And this is one of uh, my favourite and, and most challenging verses, Proverbs 14.31. It says, He who oppresses the poor, so it's like whoever holds down the poor is, it treats them badly, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever's kind to the needy honours God. 
So we're, we're told that we're either showing contempt for God or we're honouring him depending on how we respond to the poor and needy in his world. And this sort of heart that God calls us to have, that he has for the poor and needy, should be and has always been uh, a trademark of Christians. The Apostle Paul in Galatians, he talks about this meeting that he had with the leaders of the early church and about taking the gospel, the good news, to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And he says in Galatians 2 verse 7, and then verse 9, he says, They saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles. And then verse 9, he says, When James, Cephas and John, recognised as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. This is Paul, the gospel guy. But crucial to to his um, proclamation of the gospel was caring for those in significant need. And we see that through Jesus' ministry, most of all, don't we? We see that um, Jesus, he is the immortal, invincible son of God, has become man. He, He chose to be born into flesh to live a life of love. Uh, He did that through his incredible mission of reconciling us to God, which we've talked about. But also that didn't stop him over and over again caring for the poor and needy. Whenever there was opportunity, healing, providing, feeding, loving those weakest members of our world. And as his children, that's exactly what our hearts should be like too, right? So as God's children, we must find some way or ways of expressing that same sort of care. And because we were told just in Proverbs, when we, are, when we love and care for our neighbour in need, for the poor and needy, we honour our Heavenly Father. I think the, Jesus, um, the clearest explanation from, from Jesus about what it means to... Um, to respond to the poor and needy. We remember the example of the the Samaritan man, the good Samaritan, and very famous story. And that's what when Jesus is explaining what it means to love our neighbour. And he tells this story of this Jewish man who's lying on the side of the road, beaten to death, dying, uh, and then he's ignored by a fellow Jewish priest, and then he's ignored by the Levite. Uh, He's left without hope. And so what does Jesus uh, recommend where well, he says here comes a Samaritan man an enemy of the Jews he gets sacrificially involved with this man he gets down in the dirt in like the most scary neighborhood possible uh, he, he helps clean him up cleans his wounds puts him on a donkey takes him to an inn he cares for him in the inn stays with him overnight then he pays the innkeeper and says please look after him until I return and if there's any more if it costs any more I'll, I'll, I'll cover that too so Jesus, even in that parable, is limiting, uh, not, he's saying it's not limited just to fellow Jews or fellow Christians or, or whoever. It's anybody in need. Uh, we should be caring for anyone in need. Not everybody is your brother and sister in Christ, in the faith, but everybody is your neighbour and we must love our neighbour. But again, before we can love like that, we need to 
accept the love that has been given us in Christ. Because we once were that man lying on the side of the road in a very similar way, completely at the mercy of only, only God, saved graciously by someone who owed us the opposite. Once we receive that ultimate radical, loving, forgiving uh, love of Jesus, only then can we be the people the Bible calls us to. And his name will be honoured and glorified as we go out and love others and bring glory to him. So how should you respond? Just to wrap up. Well, uh, through Jesus, you have been rescued. If you trust in him, he's called us, he's called you to be his child. And so what's important to, to him must be important to us. If you're a follower of Jesus and a child of God, then you will love justice, mercy, caring for those who are suffering. Your life will be clearly marked by heart for the poor. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you will, we will give practical loving care for the poor and bring them the hope of the gospel. You know, I have a friend, her name is Teresa, and I hope to introduce you to you, her probably next year, which will be awesome. Just have to check with Mike. We'll see about that. Um, but Teresa's amazing. She lives in Westmead, and she grew up in the Philippines as a sponsored child. So her family were um, in incredible poverty in the Philippines. And a huge fire ripped through their community, and these houses are all, like, sort of share walls, they're all made of bamboo and timber, and they, once a fire starts in a, in a slum community, they just um, destroy the whole community. And that happened to her house and her home and her suburb, her community. And so um, it, once everything had burnt down, the first people to come to her house to help her were the Christians. Now, her dad had mercilessly ridiculed Christians for years, He'd torn into them, couldn't stand them. And he couldn't believe that the first ones to come and love and care for his family were the people that he had treated so badly. And so through the witness of this love of Christians for a man in great need and through his family sharing the good news of Jesus with him, he ended up repenting and be becoming a follower of Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? Through the love of uh, those who owed him the opposite. And now he works as a compassion director. He runs the compassion program in the local church that his daughter went to. It's amazing um, this, the way that Jesus can work in the lives of the poor and needy and through the love of uh, his children. And so that needs to be our heart, that same sort of heart, that, that, that heart of love and uh, um, sacrifice for those in need, a heart for the poor, a heart for the lost, a heart for the suffering and a desire to love and care for them and bring them the good news of Jesus. So I'm going to finish this morning by praying to God that he will give us that heart, um, that same sort of heart that Jesus has, so that we might go out and love his world the way that he calls us to, and it will be for his glory. So let's, let's pray together. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to all nations through Jesus. We thank you for the hope that can only be found in your Son. But Lord, we also thank you that you have an incredible heart for the poor and the needy and the unworthy. Lord, we pray uh, that you will give us that same heart. 
Lord, please help us to act to bring Christ's love to the world, both in our words and in our actions. And we pray that it will be for your eternal glory and to see many come to know Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.